1: The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management.
2: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Brian Crombie Radio Hour on Saga 960. I want to talk about leadership tonight. I think uh, the start of a new year is the right time to give it some thought, and I want to connect in with a very impressive young lady, Victoria Pelche is uh, her name. We've chatted with her about uh, diversity and inclusion previously. Um, She is a senior executive with Accenture. She's the managing director, global CEO for transformation uh, with Accenture. Previously, uh, she's been an official member and contributor to Forbes Council, a super activator with Shio, a board director of Olive Group, and uh, a vice president and senior partner America's talent transformation leader with IBM. So she's got really quite a, uh, a distinguished background. Um, University of uh, Calgary Psychology, York University, Schulich School of Business, uh, Financial Management, and the Canadian Securities course rounds out her education background. So pretty impressive. Victoria, uh, in addition to your job with uh, with, uh, Accenture uh, in transformation, I understand you do a fair amount of speaking on leadership, diversity, inclusion, and some other issues. Is that correct? Correct. I
0: do. Yes. It's been long since a passion of mine taken from my own page out of my own book as a leader, lessons learned, um, some mistakes made. uh, And now I do
2: it for a day job. And why is it uh, your passion?
0: I became an executive uh, many, many years ago and in the world of outsourcing and companies look to outsource activities typically to save money. You need to learn to be a very good business leader to be profitable, <laughs> make money in those businesses. And it isn't just about, you think, outsource call centers, the quote unquote bums in seats. Um, you want to have people who are energized being there. There's high turnover in that business. And I learned quickly it was actually about having really great leaders that, you know, I had around me, the people that I hired building the right kind of culture to be successful, to have create a sense of followership uh with the people particularly as i progressed in my own career so it was really much more around the lessons i'd learned And some of the things that I'd adopted specifically in terms of my own leadership style that I then started to bring out, and much more as I was working with many, many other companies and clients and executives around what is their transformation? What do their operations look like? How do they transform their businesses? I started to bring some of those experiences to the foray as well as educating myself on best practices or leading practices.
2: What's a sense of followership?
0: Well, for me, that is, you know, having team members and colleagues who, well, I'm not going to say will necessarily follow you anywhere, but they have a great deal of trust. It has meant for me that I have had a number of team members who have followed me. I've changed companies a number of times over my career and I've been fortunate to have a number of people come with me because we've built this great sense of camaraderie. I have trust in those individuals. I feel strongly about the quality of their performance. And then for me as a leader, you know, they know that I have trust in them. I'm a big believer in, I've never been a micromanager unless I had to. I have a, this philosophy of, you know, there are no schedules, there's just deliverables and giving people the time and space to be able to deliver quality, you know, product. Sorry, but also-
2: there's no schedules, there's deliverables. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, so that that's been a big philosophy for me. So that so you're not a of, micromanager. I, I'm I'm not. I don't want to hire. I'm not hiring particular. I'm an executive, and I usually hire. I'm hiring other leaders. I trust that they've gotten to that place because they've been great performers and moved up, and they're now great leaders. I don't need to manage how they get the job done. I'm very clear around setting um, goals and objectives for them personally, for the clients and customers that we serve. But how and when they choose to get there and deliver that, I don't care. So when someone will come to me and say, hey, I need to leave at 3 o'clock to take my child to a uh, doctor's appointment, or I really want to make their you know, their soccer game, great, no problem. Like You don't need to ask me permission for that. I expect that you're going to get the work done. And COVID's ta- taught us a lot around uh, uh, the change and how we work in it. Everything's all integrated. But I've been doing this for 20 years. And that's a big part of going back to followership. I've, you know, the fact that I trust my team members to deliver. And so when I ask them to do things that make them feel uncomfortable, they know I've got their back because I built, we've established a strong relationship and trust in one another.
2: Do you think that is a trait that most management has, or is that very unique to you and something you're talking about? It
0: I think many leaders have it. Many do, but I don't. Uh, I wouldn't, I haven't personally seen it, uh, in, um, great, great waves out there. I think there's, there's always one and they tend to be the one that people talk about in the organizations they are like, Oh, I love to work for so, and so, and if, but I think it needs to become much more prevalent. You know, again, these last couple of years have changed the way, particularly for employees, Um, the type of environment people want to work in. Not just the type of work they're doing anymore, but who they want to do it with and how they want to evolve with those leaders and with that organization. So it's, as I'm talking a lot about the must-haves going forward, this sense of human-centric leadership uh, that a lot is based on empathy, it's based on trust and transparency. It has to be, a skill that is learned if it's not already innate in our leaders today.
2: I've had a fairly long corporate career. Um, the traits that you're describing are pretty unique, don't you think?
0: Sad. I Maybe it is, Brian. I mean, I, I, as I said, I haven't seen it enough in my career and I've worked in many, many different organizations. I have started working in my, when I was 11, so i you know, and I'm well into my 40s now. So a long time doing it, and a long time at a senior level. And sadly, no, there's not enough of it out there. Doesn't mean that there aren't great, great leaders. And I, some I found have bits and pieces of all of those. It's bringing together in this melange of great, um, greatness as a leader. I think that that makes it so unique.
2: No schedules, just deliverables not a micromanager, and you need empathy. Interesting. We're going to take a break and come back more with Victoria Pelche in just a minute. Stay with us, everybody.
1: Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Welcome
2: back to the Brian Crombie radio while we're on saga Nine We're chatting tonight with Victoria Pelche about leadership and, uh, really, I think how Victoria thinks, uh, it's changing and, uh, some fair, um, fair changes. Uh, um, and we've talked about, uh, no schedules, just deliverables. We've talked about empathy. We've talked about followership. Um, and, uh, and we've talked about no micromanagement. Um, and it's almost like it's a different kind of leader that Victoria is trying to uh, to uh, to support and uh, and uh, advocate for in today's environment. It's kind of interesting, um, Victoria. I got to go back. Your your title is CEO of Transformation. How do you be CEO of transformation? Like, what the heck are you doing? So I am in a client-facing
0: business unit working with. CEOs, and the board of directors for large organizations around the the strategic agenda that they have and the things that they need to be engaged in. But it's this infusion of not only those strategic priorities, whether it be around a merger and acquisition, a digital transformation that's required in the business, new products or services... But it's this infusion of this lens around the type of leadership and culture that they need to have as well to bring that in. What do they personally need to do to ensure that their business transformation is successful? And so, that means a lot of what you and I are talking about tonight around this lens on leadership and the culture that they need to create within their organizations, a sense of purpose they personally and the organization need to have. That That's… the the stuff I get to do every day. So again, I I've been doing it leading businesses for a very long time and have shifted into now having the conversation and consulting with, with other C-suite executives over how to be more effective leading through a lot of the change in in these tumultuous times with very different um, expectations of not only their employees, their consumers, their shareholders.
2: How do you do that? How do you like, do you just sit down with uh, the leader and, uh, And, um, you know, put them on a couch or something and try to figure out whether he's empathetic or or what?
0: (laughs) Well, I will tell you, I build very, very close relationships with many of the leaders I'm working with. Going back to that notion of trust, um, they need to know that I'm coming at it not only from a place of experience or um, expertise in in doing a lot of what um, they they themselves need to do, have done or looking to do, but also from a place of care. Uh, So, you know proverbially that, you know, the, the, the doctor's chair of, you know, to, to talk through what um, they're, they're feeling and where they feel their shortcomings might be is sometimes a part of the job. But really how I go about doing that is understanding what are the business outcomes they're trying to achieve, right, on that strategic priority or agenda list they have? What are those big bucket items? And then understanding a current state assessment of where they're, where they're at. Related to that. So, if we're going to talk about a large scale transformation, it's not going to be successful if they don't have the right change management skills. And that means bringing people along the journey, not the traditional change management alone, that's around creating a training plan and communications package, but rather around how do I, as the senior leader, demonstrate why this is the right kind of change or transformation for the business? How do I model from the front? So, a lot of that can be around individual personal development uh, for the CEO or board members that we might be dealing with or their team, you know, to understand where are the skill gaps that they have, not only in achieving the the need of the transformation, but as leaders. What are the skill gaps we have? And even sometimes, how do we work together to ensure we're all aligned in marching forward? That's
2: interesting. I guess I'm a little bit surprised because I thought Accenture was more of an information technology or or, or something consulting firm um, and not someone who would come in and, and talk to me about change management but that's interesting that you do that. so so let's talk about it. So I'm a, a CEO of a company and and I've got uh, some challenges uh, with my organization and I want to make sure that I'm the leader that uh, I want to be and I need to be to, to move my company forward and I call you up and I ask you to come uh, visit me. Give me come some of the steps. you say you uh, you know you work with me and my board that you try to understand.
0: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I talked about this current state assessment. And I think that's critically important. And so I let me actually get real, you know, real life, you know, example of something I've worked on in the past. And it was a global insurance company who was looking to create a sense of purpose one that was defined amongst all of the regions around the world. And so it's very important to make sure that there's a, a per, we all want to get up every day and feel like we're we're striving towards something. What is this purpose the impact what we that we want to have and we want to deliver. So there needs to be one at a corporate level as well as for us individually. So this organization was looking to establish that but also the kind of impact that they want to have uh, amongst a variety of areas so that can be things around community relations and community giving. It can be diversity, equity, and inclusion, both for the customers that they serve, but also for their their employees. It can be around, um, think about all of the sustainability goals, those sorts of things. So, spent time with this organization and the senior leaders and a number of members of from their board to understand, where are you today? Tell me what does purpose mean for you? Tell me what you're doing in these various areas. And so, whether it's that or whether it's an acquisition of a company or needing to improve profitability, it can be all these different types of activities, but it's understanding what is the goal or objective. Let's understand the, where do you sit today? Are we all starting from a common understanding, number one? And in this case, it was also, what are you doing in these areas? But also to move forward, I asked this really great question. It's one of my favorite questions as I'm interviewing these executives and I asked them whether they feel that they and the organization is prepared to do what is necessary to achieve the level of ambition that they say they want. Because that ambition comes with significant change, challenge, money, sometimes depending on what what that transformation looks like and are they prepared for that. That's a really telling answer for me. And then I kind of dive deep from there in terms of why, why not, who are the blockers in their organization? What do they think, That they need to be doing differently. But, Brian, the other thing I'll say and then I'll pass it back to you is I think it's really important not to do that from the ivory tower alone. It's about having lots of dialogue with others within the organization. I like to when doing kind of a people-based assessment and understanding around culture see their employee engagement survey. Normally there's questions asked around how engaged they are, would they recommend or refer their friends or family? Those are the types of things to sort of marry and bring, you know, top and frontline feedback together.
2: You know, I was interested just uh, a week or so ago, you um, posted a blog about lessons from American football and you talk about culture and commitment. I was wondering why you used American football as an example of, of good culture. (laughs)
0: Well, it was actually more, I think, because um, as a Canadian now living uh, in the US, I'm actually not very much a a big football fan, period. I'm a hockey player and hockey fan, um, but so much of my friends and colleagues were talking about football, and I kept hearing all these tidbits around changes in coaches and how much they get paid and all these sorts of things. And so for me, it was, there's always this conversation around being uh, player coach, and so you don't need to be the the you know the coach isn't. Although in this case, many of these coaches were getting getting paid a ton of, ton of money. The coaches aren't the best paid on the team. Think of sales leaders. So really, really effective salespeople can get paid an extreme amount of like of money, depending on the organization, the industry, how successful um, that you know they're in. But the sales manager doesn't. And so I, I put it was putting it a bit more into that. That perspective, one in terms of player coach, but also the fact that I believe leadership—we are all leaders, whether you sit in a high in a hierarchy in which you have people reporting to you, or you have a title or not. So that was really is more around the message um, around the things that I think you need to do to be successful when we talk about leadership, right? So understand that you know the culture in which you are working within right and it's all contextual and so again i have shifted and changed significantly based upon the audience that i'm engaging with the team the the level that, of experience that they might be at the skill set they have etc so it is much more bringing it, you know down to that around that you know that culture and context the commitment that they have within it and as you know i said in the Um, in that article that I wrote, you know, it's, it's cutthroat. So I think, you know, if you want to be really successful, even if you're choosing to leave organizations um, or in this case, a a sporting team, there's, there's a way to do that well and be all in until you're not, but exit well.
2: And and so after culture, your second issue was all about commitment, which was interesting. And, uh, and you had the story about the coach who, uh, who took a new coaching job right in the process of recruiting a player.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and
2: it, it's it your so I, it's a lesson of commitment.
0: Well, so there was a lesson for me in that, in that I had, um, you know, recently left an organization to join Accenture, quite frankly. And I was in the process of continuing to recruit. And I'm a big believer that you're in until you're out of an organization, meaning I don't stop delivering. I, I have an obligation to my clients, to my team, to my organization until the day I depart. And, uh, but I was recruiting uh, individuals and one of the candidates that uh, I interviewed with went back to our executive recruiter and said, they really loved me and they wanted to come and work for me. I was a big reason they would choose to come. And it was at that moment, I think, it, you know, the, some of the lessons I have in leadership, but also just integrity that I have. I went back to our recruiter. I hadn't yet resigned. I wasn't even hundred percent. I was going to leave uh, and I said to him that he, I was asking him not to put me in front of other candidates or delay as much as possible. Again, I couldn't disclose why, but I, I didn't want to do what that coach did and have them find out later. In the process, so I think it's really, yeah. And and I think for for employees, um, it you know, I, I, I give you know advice to a lot of you know colleagues or others that I think even when you're looking to. Um, move or make a change, whether it's within an organization to a new organization, there's a number of things to consider. Obviously, the work that you are doing, are you excited by the work getting up every day? Do, that sense of purpose. You know, are you working for an organization and for leaders that are aligned from a, um, a culture perspective, a values perspective? I would never tell people to take a job solely for their leader, but that needs to be a very important part of the decision. Do you like, do you respect, do you believe that you can trust the person that you're working with? And so that is a big factor in my own decision-making from a career perspective. And so I would have hated for anyone to make a decision to come and join my former organization for me only to see me leave before or shortly after they got there. And so that's where I think, you know, these coaches have an obligation. And I know it's, and it's very, it's very tough to, it's a lot easier to say that than to do it. In this case, we're talking about professional sports. But even my own in my own instance, I felt that I owed it to these amazing individuals that I was interviewing uh, to either kind of step back from the process and or have my recruitment team keep me a little bit further removed from it.
2: You also uh, posted recently an article about preparing for the future of work um, and the top five trends to watch in the future of work. And I was really surprised to see that empathy and compassion (laughs) are two of the top five trends. Do you really believe that? I I do. I do.
0: Uh, And So you've probably heard Brian around the great resignation, although I'm seeing new names for it. It's the great attraction. And and that's because employees have choice right now. And uh, the market is hot. If you look at the millions of open job roles that are out there and the pay that's being commanded by them. So they all have choice. And so I go back to what I was just saying. You want to, it's, it can be a little bit easier to actually find the, the work, the, the job that you want to do that aligns to the experience uh, that you have, maybe what you went to school to, to be doing. So finding the work is one thing, but attracting people into organizations and more importantly, now retaining them is going to mean about creating a great environment for these individuals. And so it's, a multitude of things? Do I have a sense of belonging? I go back to, you know, you you mentioned you and I have had a conversation in the past around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are we creating that right kind of culture? But then you think about the leaders that you're working for. Yes, you want one with some of the things I, I spoke uh, about in terms of they're not micromanagers, this followership and, and trust, but also in this era where there's an exacerbation of Mental health challenges and burnout, and as we're all even, I think of you know in Ontario right now, back on lockdown. I'm ta- I've talked to yeah. a couple of colleagues in Canada who are trying to balance their um, their young children at home who are back homeschooling again, yep. right? So you want to work for a leader who might, my, my children are much older and don't you know need that kind of attention, but I'm highly empathetic to. You know the the one who's got an eight year old and he needs to step away from our call to go and help him and make sure he gets back on track. It's that kind of a leader, um, and and an organization. Quite frankly, it's not it's the leaders, but it's representative of, of the entire company they're working in. So we need to be driving towards creating this you know empathetic culture where we're much more compassionate for you know life. Life that happens, and yes, we're going back to the no schedules, just del- just deliverables. How do we get that done? And can we have a very different, you know, compassionate conversation with the people in you know that that work with us?
2: It really seems like a very different style of leadership that you think is going to be the key to the success uh, leading companies today than you know we saw a generation or two ago. Um, the, the idea of that uh, you know authoritarian a man at the front of the of the room or at the front of the board table um, you think is more of a, someone that uh, is empathetic and, uh, and create culture, um, maybe the player coach um, and encouraging followership uh, rather than demanding followership. Uh, it's a, it's a very different style that you think is the key in today's society and today's businesses.
0: I, I learned from uh, some of my own mistakes, Ryan. I, um So I think because I became an executive at such a a young age, call it whether it's imposter syndrome or whatnot, I felt tremendous amount of fear and the need to show up in a, in a way that wasn't always sort of innate or natural. I, um, my best friend has nicknamed me turtle and that's because I do have turtle and that's because I have a tough exterior. I have shouldered a lot, both personally and professionally.
1: no purchase necessary void are prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
0: but i'm actually all marshmallow inside so my lesson and don't get me wrong when i talk around you know we're talking about leadership and culture and being empathetic it does not mean um that i don't set an extremely high bar for performance right or making some of the difficult business decisions that need to be made i've been through personally 18 mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, or divestitures that come with usually some very difficult decisions, particularly around organizational structure, et cetera. I can't tell you the number of restructurings and layoffs and individuals' lives that have been impacted by decisions that I've had to make. But there's a way to to, to do that. And so my lesson um, learned where I knew I made a mistake, I wore this mask. I thought I had to be all business all the time. I wasn't going to show any kind of emotion or vulnerability. And I came in, this is probably 20 years ago now. I came into work one Monday and was talking to my colleague about what we'd done on the weekend. And I said, oh, I was watching. I don't remember what the movie was in the movie theater. And I said, oh, I was bawling. I needed so much Kleenex. And she kind of looked at me like with complete, like completely um, shocked. And she said, Victoria, I thought you'd be the type of person who'd laugh at people who cry at movies. And Brian, it crushed me. It crushed me. But I, it was in that moment that I realized I needed to stare pretty strongly in the mirror and recognize that this is how I showed up at work every day. And there was, I was feared at work. I had a nickname the opposite of Turtle, but somewhat was the Iron Maiden. And it's because I was all business all the time. I got stuff done, made difficult decisions, but people feared me. And that wasn't who I was. It's not who I wanted to be, who I wanted to be known to be um, as a leader. And I certainly wasn't going to have people follow me into the fire with some of these really difficult business decisions. So it became an incredibly intentional need to change how I showed up at work every day. And the the marshmallow that existed inside the turtle had to come out and I had to be vulnerable. I had to have a very different type of personal conversation with the people that I work with.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the whole sort of lean in uh, attitude and that uh, females have to be more uh, ambitious, aggressive, uh, forthright, uh, et cetera, if they want to be successful. Sounds like you don't agree with that. You can still be and should still be vulnerable, empathetic, feminine. Is that the case?
0: 100%. I mean, I I rose quickly through the ranks, I'll tell you, by the much more masculine traits, uh, you know, the you know, being called aggressive versus just, you know, being assertive and getting stuff done. It got me to a certain point in my career, but as I recognized that if I wanted to create, again, the kind of culture and environment where people wanted to stay and work with me and wanted to go above and beyond, then I had to be human. I had to recognize that the people I worked with all showed up and had their own personal lived experiences. They might have had a horrible night or might have, again, some some, you know, mental health challenges or personal health, or maybe they're taking care of an you know an elder parent or whatever. We all show up our whole selves to work every day. And so the only way for me to build this sense of community and a strong culture was to start acting that way. So I, I think you can be both. And I hate, I what I do hate is. You know, I hear a lot about masculine and feminine energy and traits and this, and they are stereotypes, stereotypes. There are just traits uh, that can exist. And I think you need to bring a multitude of them together successfully in certain situations.
2: We're chatting tonight with Victoria Pelche. She is CEO of Transformation at Accenture, um, uh, formerly from Toronto and now living in the United States and working. Um, Fascinating conversation. We're going to take a break for some messages and come back more with Victoria in just a minute. Stay with us.
1: No radio, no problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Brian Crumbie Radio while we're on Saga Nine We're chatting tonight with Victoria Pelche. She is the CEO of Transformation at Accenture, a, a large consulting company. Um, Victoria, you do a lot of keynotes. And I understand one of the keynotes is about accelerating your career through strategic networking and building your brand. Tell me about why a leader has got to get in, into the marketplace and, uh, and network and build a brand.
0: Uh, well, if these last couple years haven't taught people m- more about the need to build their brand and in this case, it's also an online presence, then I don't know if there's any other time. For me, it's because I shifted early in my career from I worked for a couple of the Canadian banks, serving you know customers leading some of their operations. And when I shifted into the world of business to business and serving clients, and either their customers or employees recognized that in addition to the, the products and services that they were buying for the companies that I was working for, at the end of the day, they were also buying me and my team. They were buying people. you. People do business with people they like and trust and therefore want to do business with. And so when you think about companies, I've spent much of the last 20 years, business to business, providing consulting and outsourcing and technology services to them. So If they're going to take their most trusted asset in some cases and spend a lot of time with the HR function, if they're going to pass over, you know, whether it's paying their employees or handling their benefits, if they're going to pass that over, not yes, they want to know that there's great technology and processes and people to, to do the processing of those activities, but they want to know that um, the people they've got that are leading that business for them, who those that are ultimately accountable. And that's my role has typically been to come in and say, like, I lead North America. I lead this global function for the company I'm at. Ultimately you can look in the whites of my eyes and know that I'm accountable for my team delivering to you. But to do that, it means they, they I mean, they, they need to get to know me. So when I talk to, early professionals, I say that there's a few things that I think are critically important for them in their career. First and foremost, for sure, we absolutely need to perform and perform well in the roles that we're in. And the other is around building this brand and this network. And so a brand is more than being known for the subject matter for what you studied in school or you've become an expert in. It's around that whole person. Who Who are you known to be? For me, it's a number of things. So being a strong leader, creating this followership, I'm radically candid. So so you know that there's no meeting after the meeting.
2: Radically candid.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's Kim Scott wrote this book called Radic- uh, Radical Candor. And um, she had worked for um, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, who had given her some really direct feedback, but did it from that was kind of a bit painful to receive, but it was be- from a place of care. And so I've adopted that phrase around, you know, this radical candor um, quite liberally. And that's how I show up in all places. And so it's it radical rid- candor blunt. Um, it's it's direct, but with this balance of do- delivering the message that people need to hear um, again from a place of care. So it's not about being rude and so direct that you're just hurting people's feelings, but saying the things that, you know, people, that some might be afraid to say. And so that, that's part of my brand. People know that um, I'm not a bs right? So they know that when I say something to them, I'm, I'm being completely upfront and honest with them. I'm sharing my perspective with them. But again, I'm not going in the back room later. I'm going to have the separate meeting and come back. So it's like, we can agree to disagree. We're going to put our cards on the table and we're going to have that open dialogue. So that's part of my brand. You know, so my, my brand is more than what I do for a day job, right? It's all of the other things. What makes me who I am? Why do you, when you think of the world of consulting, there's lots of people who know MA consulting, who know enterprise digital transformation. You know, what does that look like? But how to differentiate between Accenture or McKinsey or BCG or any of those large consulting firms out there, at the end of the day, they're… They're going to go, yes, there's great methods and tools that we have within the organization. But when people come to me, they're coming to me also because I have experience and I have a reputation and I'm the type of individual that will work well you know, with them personally, with their teams or their organization. So it's very important that we build strong brands that are more than what we do for our day job. It's that holistic version of um, of. Who we are and also what do we want to be known for. For me, part of that's about, you know, I'm not gonna have a tombstone, but if I did, you know, what would it say on there? It's not gonna be about the revenue that I brought into the companies I work for. It's about the impact I'm gonna have on the people that I engaged with, the communities I served, and to my family. So that's what I mean by building the strong brand that you people need to be known for. Again, you can stare at me in this tiny square box. And that's what people will immediately go to LinkedIn and see. It needs to say more than your title.
2: You also wrote recently about the importance of failure. Why did you write about the importance of fear and failure?
0: Because I think, well, I think so many people are afraid, first of all, to fail. And I've been there before. Uh, I wanted to show up and win all the time. I was afraid that people would think less of me. So I think we need to embrace and lean into the things that make us uncomfortable. And one of those things is this fear of failure. But also in this article, it's entitled Fear, Failure, Forward, because I think we learn significantly when we do falter, right? I talked about the Iron Maiden name and you know that people didn't see this vulnerable side of me, and therefore I didn't build the right kind of team dynamics. I learned from that failure. It didn't, and it by the way, it didn't come overnight. It took years of this intentional need to show up very differently in a way that initially was uncomfortable or unnatural for me. So I think as leaders, we need to be comfortable going back to the vulnerability. Let's be vulnerable. You know, I'm quite comfortable saying, I don't know what I don't know. I'm going to leverage my experience and draw where I think there's some commonality and we're going to go forward in this direction. And if we fail, that's okay. We're going to fail fast, you know, pull our socks up, get up. And go forward and learn from that and try something new and different. And then the next time, we'll know more.
2: You know, the Greeks uh, used to say that uh, we suffer our way to wisdom. Uh, so I guess that's uh, the same thing that you're saying is that uh, we've got to go through some problems, some problems and tragedies and, and suffering in life to, to actually learn wisdom, learn uh, how to be successful. Exactly. You also talked about leadership DNA, which I found interesting, and uh, and you know it, it it comes back to some of the things that we talked about before, um, and uh, and you use the example of coach again. Um, have you been involved in athletics? Is that why you uh, come back to the idea of coach a couple of times?
0: Yeah, I do it for a few reasons. So uh, I have been involved in team sports almost all of my life. Uh, back in Calgary, I played you know, volleyball and basketball and picked up hockey in my early 20s. And so the, the whole team sport dynamic is something that I personally know, but I also know that it resonates with so many. Uh, so I tend to write um, and bring things back into a way that not everyone is an executive. And so as I talk about these dynamics, bring it down into a way that you know people can understand uh, a little
2: bit more easily. Why do you and, suggest a, uh, a leader should be a little bit of a mad scientist?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I, I think it's about, I, I talked about bringing together all these different skills and traits and experience, and, and it's doing these, you know, like science experiments. You try a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you see what works, and it's going to work in some environments and not in others. And that's where I think this there's this need to experiment what, with what's going to work well, but also constantly be innovating. We cannot, you know, so you know that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so, we as leaders need to be really comfortable. This goes back to lean into the discomfort, fear of failure. Let's try something new. Let's innovate to see how we can move ourselves
2: forward. Um, you you spoke also about that you're unstoppable and that you had some issues that uh, that caused some trauma in uh, your life and that that gave you sort of this resilience that, uh, that led to your sort of motto about being unstoppable. Can you share any of that with us?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, I am. I come from a very, very difficult um, youth. Uh, I was born to a drug addicted teenager who was very, very abusive to me. Uh, I was very fortunate, however, to be taken out of that situation and adopted into a home uh, with, you know, parents who loved me dearly, and my mother in particular, who worked hard to kind of break down some of the walls and barriers that I, I, I built as a result of those early years. Those are actually, I think, what informed some of that. It talked about the masks I wore and the need, the fear of failure. Some of that, quite frankly, I think actually comes back to fear of, not just fear of failing, but fear of be, being rejected.
2: You felt rejected by of, your mother.
0: Correct. And really? so I, I recognize that a lot of my own feelings and emotions and the vulnerabilities I have, I s- spent a lot of time sitting in my own feelings and reflecting on where do they co- understanding where they come from so that I can start to move forward. And so this, this notion of being unstoppable is I had those very, very difficult early years and a multitude of a number of setbacks personally and professionally. And with each one, I've just had this resolve. I think, you know, the fight or flight, we could have chosen to go one one or two ways. And I made a decision from a very early um, uh, child that I was going to be nothing like my, my biology, the roots in which I came from. And so I chose to be, I wouldn't have used the word in, you know in my youth, unstoppable, but Rather, nothing was going to stop me. So, stuff would happen and I'd pick myself up. And I have another motto or hashtag I often sign on my social, which is no excuses. You know, like, so stuff's going to happen. We can cry our tears, but we're going to move forward. And so, that's what's allowed me to, you know, know, in life, just continue to move forward. Obstacles are going to come both personally and professionally. And we're going to deal with what we're going to have. I'm not saying don't be emotional because, again, the turtle and, you know, my marshmallow inside that turtle is extremely emotional. Uh, but we're then going to sit and move, determine how do we move forward? And so this is, I bring that perspective, you know, into the, the boardroom, right? So stuff's going to happen. You know, We uh, are, as I said, 18 mergers and acquisitions. Right. So I, you know, went through one one company in particular. We acquired six companies in a span of about 18 months. And it meant just a con. And I was leading North America at that point and the largest portion of the employee population. And that meant a lot of reorganization in such a short period of time and really, really difficult decisions that had to be made. And whether it was in the boardroom table talking about how are we going to do this. How are we going to move forward? And it meant some of my colleagues around the table lost their jobs also, even down to the, the one-on-one conversations that I would have with people who were impacted, I bring that kind of let allow them, that goes a little bit back to the, the, the empathy and compassion and the conversations and the decisions we make, to then recognize that, okay, we're moving forward, there's an outcome, you know, a, a deliverable, whatever it is that we're marching towards. And so let's focus on that. So that's what I mean by, you know, that, you know, being unstoppable, not that we don't let, you know, stuff's going to happen and that we don't let it, let us, it impact us in the moment, but we don't let it paralyze us. We're
2: chatting tonight with Victoria Pelche, uh, CEO of Transformation uh, for Accenture. Victoria, if people want to uh, reach out uh, to you, uh, maybe access some of your ideas, is uh, your website the best place to go?
0: Websites absolutely the best place to, uh, to follow me. All my, my um, articles and blogs are posted there. And of course, I'm sure if many of them are, are in business, they can find me on LinkedIn as well. And your website is? It is Victoria Peltier.com. And that's P E L L E T I E R. Thanks to my French Canadian husband.
2: Fantastic. We're going to take a break for some messages and come back more with uh, Victoria Peltier. In just a minute. Stay with us, everybody.
1: Stream us live at saga960am.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Brian Crummy Radio. While we're on Saga Night 60, it's a real pleasure of mine tonight to be chatting with Victoria Palchey again. Victoria is the CEO of Transformation. What a great, uh, great title—CEO of Transformation for Accenture, uh, a large consulting firm. Uh, she used to be from uh, Canada. She's now—I uh, guess you're still from Canada, but you're now working and living in the United States. Um, uh, hopefully, you'll come back uh, and, and rejoin us uh, sometime or every once in a while. Um, Victoria, it's a, it's a new year. And one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out to you, uh, is number one, I follow you on uh, LinkedIn and, uh, I love reading your blogs. Um, but I thought that maybe you could sort of set the tone for us for this new year. If uh, people are in leadership positions or want to be in leadership positions, are there some things that you do at the beginning of the year, or when you set out a, on a new project or that you could give us as a sort of a guidelines on getting started?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I, um, I'll tell you that at the start of every year, I'm not one for New Year's resolutions, uh, but at the start of a new fiscal year or, as you said, a new project or engagement that I'm working on, I am always very clear or I, I try to be very clear for myself and then subsequently for my teams. What does success look like? You know, what are, we, what are the goals and objectives that we are trying to achieve? So, let's really understand what, what we're chasing, what we're working towards, what are the outcomes we're expecting. So, let's, let's get really clear on what, what that looks like. So, that's first and foremost. And then developing a plan over how we're going to get there. Now, as a leader, that means a number of things that additionally I need to do. But before I go there, I just want to state that you also said, and your audience will be many who, while well, some will choose never to be in leaders, not everyone wants to be a people leader, uh, those that are aspiring to be in that role, and then those that already are. But what I think is really important is to recognize that we are all leaders. As we said earlier, you don't need to sit you know, at the top of a hierarchy or with a bunch of people reporting to you or have a certain title to be a leader. We all all have an extreme amount of influence over those around us and that we engage engage with. But for me as a leader, understanding you know the endpoints. When I want to talk about you know goals and objectives, I work for a publicly traded company. You can imagine that there's goals, objectives, and targets that they want to see us achieve in terms of. Financial performance in terms of our client satisfaction and our employee satisfaction, as well as you know the impact we have socially and wanted to, want to do things like around diversity and inclusion. So I'm clear on the goals and objectives, um, building a plan towards that. A big part of it as a leader is assessing the people that I have on the team, that are um, the skills that they have, the engagement they have, the need for new or different uh, within the team as well. And as a leader, I am personally accountable for my team's success. So that also means building a plan for the individual success in terms of, you know, the the skills they have and need to develop. Do they need to make a change? And a lot of my role as a leader is having conversations over understanding people's career progression and where do they want to go. And that means having some tough conversations with people and encouraging them to do some of what I had to do in my career and look, you know, in the mirror and understand who I am today and where do I want to get to. And in many cases, it's then an evaluation. Again, going back to even how I engage with clients on a new engagement, doing a current state assessment. Here's where I want to get to. Here's where I am today. How do I need to get there? And so building that bridge, but again, doing it with some of the things I talked about, this great sense of compassion and empathy, the radical candor to say some of the things that people might not have already said, um, either to oneself or to one another. And then also be really committed to that going forward. You know, and having that sense of purpose to deliver towards that outcome and being committed, even if that commitment is to make a change.
2: So, number one, goals and objectives. Number two, have the strategy and plans on how to achieve it. Number three, you said make sure that you have the right team. Number four, you said uh, to work with those people, assess those people, to help them uh, um, become the right people on the team. Uh, if you don't have the right team, so that you work a lot on uh, on, on helping the people. Number five, assessment. Uh, so assessing and reassessing, um, evaluating whether I guess the strategy, the plans, objectives, the team, and uh, and 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 the and the strategies for those teams are for all appropriate. Then be committed and empathetic. Sounds like a good agenda.
0: <laughs> thank you. A, sounds like a lot. It is. Um, but it uh, it's a great way to get through the year.
2: Victoria Pelche, thank you so much for inspiring us for leadership in 2022. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. That's my show for tonight. Thanks for joining us. I'm on every Monday through Friday on 960 AM. You can stream me online at www.saga960am.ca. You can get all my podcasts and videocasts on my website, briancrombie.com. And the videos are on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And the uh, podcasts are on Apple, Audible, and Speakeasy uh, Podcasts.
1: Thanks for joining us, everyone. Good night. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on saga960am.ca.